This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Uh, this is session number six. Uh, when they were originally lined up, discipline was the last one, and may I have attention, please, was the fifth one. Those got switched. Then our room location got switched, and our time got switched. So for those of you who have no idea what's going on right now, my name is Pastor Cameron DeVazier. This is Training Center Church's session number six, entitled, May I Have Your Attention, Please. How many of you still do not have a handout? All right. I want to let you know that I really appreciate you being here, and apparently there are some extras. I don't know but I think that they might have run dry. Um, but they're, you can share, use this as a time to get closer to your fellow man. Um, but basically, I'm going to very quickly talk about what we've been, just very briefly recap for those of you who are just coming in now. Uh, we've been looking at training center churches and what the church organization is supposed to do, what it's supposed to be, what's its purpose, and what is the individual roles of, of People in the church, whether it be members or officers or even paid pastoral staff, what is it that we're supposed to be doing? And um, going through all of that, basically we've come to the idea that there's a cycle of evangelism that goes everywhere from cultivating the, I mean, from um, from preparing the soil to to planting the seed, sowing the seed, to cultivating the crop, to harvesting at the end, and then preserving an ongoing discipleship or discipline the new members so that they will in turn go around and cultivate, I mean, it was, uh, prepare the soil and go through the cycle again, okay? So we're going to pick up pretty much right from there, and we've got a lot to cover today, and some of it might seem a little bit weird and crazy, and that's okay. We're, we're trying to get people's attention, and it's the end of time, and we need to be uh, bold for the Lord, not obnoxious but bold. And how can we do that effectively? So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this Sabbath day. It has been a blessing. And now, Lord, as we come to this final session in this particular seminar series, we would ask that you would teach us how to work for you the most efficiently, the most effectively, so we can hasten the coming of Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the previous session, we compared the evangelism process to the agricultural cycle. Winning souls to Christ is not a spasmatic, easy work. Evangelism is not an event. It is an ongoing process. On the contrary, each step in the process requires diligent, and I'm going to highlight for the purposes of this seminar session, intelligent work, labor. Again, soil preparation. How do you do that? We're preparing the soil of people's hearts for the reception of the gospel and their walk with Christ. Soil preparation is mingling with people and ministering to their needs. Seed sowing is actively seeking to share Bible truth and ascertaining others' interests in spiritual things. Cultivation means taking up the long but rewarding work of studying the Bible with people individually. This is, I'm going to highlight here, as we before, cultivation is one of the least emphasized parts of the evangelism process, yet is the one that is the most essential to a good harvest. They need to be cultivated. We do, usually would do like a one-day soil prep event where we have a health expo or something like that. Then we'll have a big seed sowing event, like we'll go out and pass out literature. Great. And then 
we'll have an evangelistic campaign in the fall and make an appeal. And we're saying, well, we went to 10,000 doors and we only had five people here. Evangelism must not work. No, it's that we're not working hard or well. Okay? There's this big spend. Think about it in the agricultural cycle. Physically, tilling soil, you can do that in a day. You can literally plant the seed in a day. You can, depends on the size of the, of course, the field, right? But you could harvest potentially in a day. But there's a big gap of time between when you plant the seed and you reap the harvest. There's this cultivation. You've got to weed things. You've got to water things. You've got to keep things going. Just, and it's long and it's slow. And the same thing with people. You're going to study the Bible with them. They're not going to get it the first time. They've got to do it again. You've got to slow down. You've got to break it down. And it's long and hard. And there are not a lot of church members who are actively giving Bible studies to evangelistic interests. They're happy to go to the event. They're happy to give out the glow track and happy to watch the baptism occur. But that long, arduous work in between, actually going to talk to people, personally sowing the seed, looking for ways to get engaging them in Bible study, that's where the gap is. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Harvest, of course, is calling for decisions from those whom Christ and his truth have been shared. And preservation, by the way, we talked about this extensively, but the, the baptism is not the end of the process. They then, what happens? You tear down all the banners and signs and all the big billboards are down. The five nights a week has dwindled down to one Sabbath service a week, you know. Kind of takes the air out of their sails a little bit. And they just settle down into their pew or honestly probably just go back home. But they got baptized. They've heard one message on the 2300 days. One message on Daniel 2. One message on the Sabbath. One message on the spirit of prophecy. And we're like, how come they didn't change their lives? They just met it a week ago. You know, they need that long integration, the practical application. They need to strike root in Christ and his word for themselves, even after the baptism. Okay? Now, people are always more inclined to have their temporal needs addressed than to have their spiritual needs addressed. Thus, you'll always have more interested in the opening steps of the cycle than in the closing steps. Jesus saw this in his ministry. And again, we're going very fast here, but John chapter 6 the feeding of the 5,000, uh, the feeding of the great multitude. Then he crosses over the lake miraculously at night. Then comes the next day, and who does he meet? The people from the other side of the lake who are coming looking for more bread. And what does Jesus say to them in John chapter 6? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because, the, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And Jesus is, is, and is in this context where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Yesterday was temporal bread, today is spiritual bread. And what was the result? And there was a great harvest. No. What does John chapter 6, verse 66 tell us? From that time on, Many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They loved him when he was the free food guy. But when he was the spiritual teaching guy, right? Christ experienced this, and you will in your church too. The evangelism cycle then can also be understood as a funnel where at the soil preparation, where you have the least spiritually challenging material, 
You're not going to be calling for decisions when they show up to the health expo. I, I doubt it. That would be a really intriguing thing. Welcome to the health expo. Are you ready to commit your life to Christ and accept the Seventh Adventist Church as the remnant Bible prophecy? <laughs> like, I'm here for my blood pressure. <laughs> you know, it's the least. Now, hopefully, you're going to hand out some literature. Hopefully, you're going to use that as an entering wedge to go to the next place. But it's the least spiritually challenging. You get that? So you're going to have the broadest possible interest from the community. That's the goal of the whole thing. Sure. Okay. Now, seed sowing. I'm glad you enjoyed this. Would you like some literature? Or we have a set of Bible study. Would you be interested? You know, you're going to have a fewer people interested in the next step than you did in the first step. This is only common sense. Okay. Then once you've sown the seed, how many would be actually interested in continuing Bible studies and going through the series of studies and really opening up with someone and talking about these spiritual things and making decisions for Christ all along the way? That's a long work, that's a slow work, and your numbers like Gideon's army start to whittle down significantly. Harvest time comes at the end of the campaign, or even right there in the home, how many people are going to, after they go through the studies, make the commitment and go forward in baptism? Fewer even still. And then those who are baptized should be mentored, they should be disciplined to be disciples of Christ who will go out and hold their own soil preparation events and whatnot. But where we have these, the bottleneck right now, anyone who becomes a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church at some time, either personally one-on-one -on -one with a church member or Bible worker, or publicly in a campaign hosted by the local pastor or an evangelist, will go through a series of Bible doctrines and make decisions to accept them all along, culminating in the decision to join the Seventh-day Adventist Church. At some point that has to happen. Right now, a lot of our outreach is focused on the top of the funnel. Everybody gets involved with it. There's a lot of stuff going on, creative ways to do this, creative ways to do that. But when it comes to the you and that person talking about spiritual things and walking through the Bible together, leading to baptism, that's where the membership also whittles down in their participation. So it's a funnel in two ways. Review and Herald, August 13, 1889. The Lord requires that far greater personal effort shall be put forth by the members of our churches. Souls have been neglected. Towns and villages and cities have not heard the truth for this time because, now what's that next four-letter word there? Wise missionary efforts have not been made. That implies that there have been some missionary efforts, but they're not the best they could be. Statement continues, our ordained ministers must do what they can, but it must not be expected that one man can do the work of all. The master has appointed unto every man his work. There are visits to be made. There is praying to be done. There is sympathy to be imparted. And the piety, which she here defines fascinatingly enough as the heart and the hand of the whole church, is to be employed. We literally need all hands on deck when it comes to winning souls for Christ in every phase of the cycle. We need a lot of, we need a lot of people doing the interest-gathering type of things, you know, the opening, entering wedge stuff. But we need just as many there seeking out people to do Bible studies and be willing to go into the homes and willing to pray with them, willing to be disappointed when they reject you. I should say if they reject you. You can sit down with your friends and in a pleasant social way 
talk of the precious Bible faith. Review and Herald, January 19, 1897. There are many who desire to see souls coming to a knowledge of truth. Everybody loves a baptism. No one goes to church like, oh, it's baptism day, boo. Right? You might do that about communion or some other thing, which you shouldn't do that either. But everyone gets excited about baptism. I've never heard of a church when, when the guy comes out of the baptistry, just kind of crickets like whatever. Everybody's amen, you know. There's maybe a song to be sung. They might bust into some of the... Just out of sheer excitement, right? They're like, ah, yes. Everybody loves the results. But who among us are engaged in real, earnest work for the Lord? Who, with earnest, humble faith, are bringing souls to him by visiting, by conversing, and by explaining the scriptures? The sacrifice that we ourselves are willing to make for the good of others is what will convince them of our sincerity. Is it possible that the truth can be just as true, but it can be brought home with more significance if it's embodied by you? See what I'm saying? The fact that you want them to know this this bad, and you're going to take time in your schedule, you're going to take time out of your busy life to sit there and talk through it with them, convinces them that whatever it is that you're selling must be for real. So, wise as serpents. How do we do that? How do we actually engage people in conversation and start to ascertain their spiritual interest and get them perhaps wetted for a little bit of a, come take a bite, come take a sample? How do we cross that divide? Wise as serpents. When it comes to sowing the seed of Bible truth, it can be easy to fall into one of two bad traps. And I'm guessing we've all seen both of these exemplified. A, giving the message so abruptly that it seems alien or cult-like. Like you say, this is the present truth of this time, this is what they need to hear, and I'm going to give it to them raw. <laughs> there is a time and place to be bold, and we should always be honest, but we should be careful in how we package it because we want to win them. Or, but in, in the pendulum swing away from that, what happens in B is... In an effort to avoid seeming crazy, diluting the message so that we never actually present it. So we've gone from doing an evangelistic campaign to being a PR campaign. Our whole thing is like, look, we're not crazy. We're just good Christians. We're, we, you know, the quirky different day kind of thing. We just really soft sell it, you know. So they see, well, why should I be like you if you're already just like me? Right, so there's no conviction that there's anything different. But over here, it's so bizarre and so outlandish that it's, well, y'all are nuts. How do you bridge this gap? Luke chapter 16. Let's go there very briefly, if you would. We have enough time. We don't have to race through every little thing. And I want to show you this directly in Scripture. I'll start with verse 1. There was a certain, uh, then he also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. 
So when he comes with his accounting record, he's not going to see if he can save his job. He already knows his job is lost. He's like, you're fired. Go bring the books to me. Clean out your desk. You're going home. But let me give you a last report before you leave. That's what we see here. Okay. Verse 3. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. And now he starts to go down his available options. I cannot what? Dig. Why can't he dig? Well, he's a pencil pusher. He's a soft guy. Right? He doesn't have callus. I'm sure he can get there. <laughs> but he's not there now, right? If I leave this job and go to the ditches, I, I can't do that. I'm ashamed to beg. So I can't do one, and I'm not going to do the other one. I have resolved what to do. Aha, he says. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So when he leaves his job, where is he planning on staying? In the houses of whoever they are. Right? So he's setting up his next place. How, how's he going to get there? Well, he's got one day left on the job, right? The master left. He says, when, at the end of the day, come back. He's got a one-day fire sale. Literally, like in one day, I'm fired sale. So, verse 5, he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down. How? Quickly. Real quick, one day only, and write 50. We're good. Half off sale, just for you. I've always liked you. I thought I was a good client. I'm going to give you a deal. Can we be friends? Next, called in all the debtors. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, 100 measures of wheat. And you write, take your bill and write 80. I don't know if he liked this guy less. I don't know, but... Now watch what happens. Verse 8 is the critical verse. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt how? Shrewdly. Let me ask you a question. The master got more money out of this account manager on that one day than he had the whole rest of the time, yes? Was that a benefit to the master? Sure. Now, it wasn't the whole benefit, He's still fired, right? But the lamentation seems to be, in fact, we'll just finish this out. For this, and here's the practical application. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Basically says, I got more creativity out of you today. I got more results out of you today. You did your best work on your last day. You know, if you had put this much time, energy, thought, creativity into actually doing your job instead of your exit strategy out of your job, you may not be leaving your job. I mean, you're still fired, but, well, that was a great last day you had, man. <laughs> you got some work done today. And then Christ says that unjust steward was more shrewd in his dealings, in his criminal intent, right, in his selfishness than the sons of light are in doing their work for their master interesting. Look at another one. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Jesus is telling those disciples who are going to go out on his behalf what to expect. Matthew 
And he says to them in verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Sheep are always representative innocent, right? In fact, lamb-like is Christ-like. Wolves, ravenous wolves, are the enemy. They're predatory. It's like the, the lion that Satan runs around with. This is a good versus evil. This is so basic, I shouldn't have to explain it, and I don't need to. We're going to move on. So he says, because I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, here's what you do. Therefore, be wise as what? Serpents, yet harmless as doves. Quick symbolism in the Bible. Serpent represents Satan. In fact, the one time it applies to Christ, he was the serpent lifted up, but he had become sin for us, right? It's always a negative connotation, that serpent of old who deceives the whole world. He says you need to be as wise as Satan. Now, dove, Holy Spirit, you need to maintain the character of of Christ, the agency of the Holy Spirit, the purity of the Holy Spirit with the ingenuity, the wisdom of the serpent. Now, I'm looking for a little, I don't want to distort this, so what does Mrs. White say about these phrases? What's the practical application today of wise as serpents, harmless as doves? What does she mean? What is being talked about? Testimonies for the Church, Volume 3, Page 456, that's a great reference. 3456. Satan understands the weakness of men. He has the knowledge which he has accumulated for ages and is an experienced hand at his work. His cunning and devices are well matured and are too often successful. Why? Because God's people are not as wise as serpents. Testimonies to Southern Africa, page 16. This was written to someone who was going off to do missionary work in Southern Africa. It wasn't a large Adventist presence. You're not going to meet a lot of the remnant down there at that time. Today, one in three is in Africa. But anyway, God would have you be as lambs among wolves, as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And here she explains what that means. You should plan carefully what to say and what to leave unsaid. That would be a great thing. Everybody's like, what should I say to this person? Well, let's start with what not to say. (laughs) And she gives some examples. Watch this now. Oh, she gives some examples in a minute. We'll come to that, okay? But notice what she said. This is not practicing deception. Were there ever times that Jesus could have told more, but he didn't? Absolutely. Absolutely. He told him, he said, I could tell you more things right now, but you couldn't handle it. It's not time. Did he ever disguise himself? What was, it, what was the road to Emmaus all about? Now, does he reveal himself later? Sure. He never lies. Of course not. But there's information he could have shared, but he doesn't do yet, because he wants to walk them through the Bible to get there. Right? It's not practicing deception. Notice this. It is working as Paul worked. And we're going to see how Paul worked in just a minute. He says, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Doesn't it say that the remnant should have no guile in their mouth? Does that mean that Paul lied? No. 
What does it mean? We'll keep going to it. Your method of labor would not have had that effect. Apparently something had gone wrong. Now, what does Paul mean with caught you guile? Here's several different translations of 2 Corinthians 2.16, that phrase that he employs to the Corinthian church. New King James says, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. King James, being crafty, I caught you with guile. New International, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Now that's a little bit, maybe much. New American Standard Bible, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Slow down. You know, there's a very fine line here, right? What does he mean? Well, if you studied out, which I wish we just sincerely did, but had time to do, we'll just look at one example here, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant of all that I might win the more. There were things he could have done in his ministry, and in the Bible he gives examples of that. For example, I, should, I had every right to expect payment for my ministry for you, but because you're not there yet, I'm going to relinquish my right so that I can win you. Right? There's stuff I could say. I could have a whole seminar about tithes and what you're... But that wouldn't be good for you yet. We'll get there. Okay? To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. And he gives a whole list. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Mrs. White explains how he worked. Evangelism, page 141. When Paul went to labor for the Jews, he did not, make first, uh, did not first make prominent the birth, betrayal, crucifixion, and resurrection of Christ. Are you saying he didn't present the gospel? No, he just didn't make it first prominent because that wouldn't be ready to be heard yet. Notwithstanding, these were the special truths for that time. That was present truth. He first brought them down step by step over the promises that had been made of a Savior and over the prophecies that pointed him out. After dwelling upon these until the specifications were distinct in the minds of all, let them know what they think they know first and then let them see that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And they knew that they were to have a Savior. He then presented the fact that this Savior had already come. Christ Jesus fulfilled every specification. This was the guile with which Paul caught souls. It wasn't lying. It wasn't deception. It was wisdom to know what to say and what not to say at the right time. He presented the truth in such a manner that their former prejudice did not arise to blind their eyes and pervert their judgment. Now, for later study, you can go to Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Of course, that's in the context of Acts chapter 15, where his, if you want to say, side of the debate in the circumcision question, won. He literally has in his hand the document that says, Gentiles do not have to be circumcised. And then he runs into Timothy, and what's the very first thing he does with Timothy? Has him circumcised. He's like, here, could you hold this letter that tells me I don't have to do this so I can do this? Why? The Bible tells us he knew there were Jews there. And they would not accept Timothy's ministry without this. We've got to do it for the sake of the gospel. To the Jews, I became a Jew. Timothy, to the Jews, you're going to have to become a Jew. And he did it. Okay? Testimonies of Southern Africa, page 17. A great and solemn work is before us to reach the people where they are. Do not feel it your burden 
uh, the bounden duty to uh, the first thing to tell the people, we are Seventh-day Adventists. We believe the seventh day is the Sabbath. We believe in the non-immortality of the soul. And thus erect most formidable barriers between you and those you wish to reach. But speak to them as you may have opportunity upon points of doctrine wherein you can agree and dwell on practical godliness. Give them evidence that you are a Christian, desiring peace and that you love their souls. Let them see that you are conscientious. Thus you will gain their confidence. We hear the phrase, gain their confidence. Where is that from? Christ's method alone, right? Mingle with them, all the things. And then bid them follow. It's a progression she's explaining. Thus you will gain their confidence, and then there will be time enough for the doctrines. Let the hard iron heart be subdued. That's soil preparation. In fact, she says, the soil prepared. (laughs) And then lead them along cautiously, presenting in in love the truth as it is in Jesus. Okay. So how do we do that? Now let's say that you've mingled, you've ministered, you've won their confidence, and now it's time to bid them. You want to study the Bible? I've titled this one, so um, would you ever like to, I don't know, study the Bible or something? Please understand that's satirical, and I'm not prescribing that as your method of approach, okay? But I will say this, I'd rather you say that than nothing. There are plenty of people, because they're afraid that's what's going to come out of their mouth, they just keep their mouth shut. And all they do is till the soil, and they never sow seed. I'd much rather be stuttering, stammering, incompetent, and maybe only get one person where you could get 100, but at least you got one person. All right, I have to stick to the script. See, that's what will happen. We'll preach. One day, uh, one way to transition a conversation in a spiritual direction is to simply test the waters. You're always talking about the weather. You're always talking about work. You're always talking about your family. Drop a little experiment in the mix. Just put a little bait in there. It's great. The other day, I'll just very, very briefly. Uh, we were at a lake, and, and my son, he's four years old, and my, my brother-in-law has said, uh, we're going to be at their parents' house, and we've got this little toy um, fishing rod thing, and it's got a little... It's got a little hook on it and stuff like that, but we'll just drop it in. He can feel like he's fishing, right? Just drop it anywhere. It's not going to work. doesn't matter. Put it in. Gets a fish on the line. <laughs> we were all shocked, and my brother-in-law was like, I, didn't, I honestly didn't see that coming. I don't know. And so now we had to work to get the fish in and stuff like that. My son was, like, delighted. Woohoo! I'm good at this, you know. This, but just drop a little bit. You never know what's going to bite, right? And look at this. These are just things I made up, and you've got... This is not at all from any manual. This is just stuff we've tried out, okay? You might have a thousand better ways than race mine and do something else. But just in the conversation sometime, when something wonderful happens, a tremendous blessing, just say, oh, praise the Lord. (laughs) Odds are they're going to skip right on past it. But they heard it. It's in there right? You're starting to form an impression, which think about how radical it is. Most people's religion is on once a week for about 40 minutes in the church, right? But yours is on a Tuesday or a Wednesday by the water cooler. That's weird. But in every other way, you're no, okay. You know, this morning I was reading in my Bible. How's that? Did you realize most people don't read their Bible first thing in the morning? 
That's interesting. They might have a follow-up question. You read, did you say this morning, was it just happening? You read that every day? And now all of a sudden they're asking about Bible studies. I was, you know, that reminds me, I was listening to this one powerful sermon the other day, and it was talking about, or last Sabbath at church. Don't just say last week. Don't say last weekend. Don't say Saturday. Why were you church on a Saturday? Was it a funeral? No, 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 last Sabbath at church. It, it's, it's different enough. It's not crazy, but it's different enough. They're like, that's a little different. What, can you tell me a little bit more about it? Well, sure. <laughs> I recently read this incredible book or booklet. It was talking about one of the things you just said, and, and it would be really helpful if you had it with you. you know? <laughs> this is a great one. If you're looking for someone to study the Bible with, this is the Tony Cerigliano, I got this from Mark and Jim Howard, but Tony Cerigliano, 100% foolproof method of a guarantee you're going to get a Bible study. And if you need to make it as honest as possible, I am hereby assigning you to find a Bible study interest. Therefore, you're not doing it because you want to do it. You have to for an assignment. It's homework. Yeah, I was at this class this weekend, and it was really, we were talking about different ways to approach people. And I'm, I'm trying to get better at these interpersonal skills and stuff. And one of the things that I have an assignment to do is to, is to give a Bible study with someone. Would you, would you mind helping me out with my homework? <laughs> oh, sure. OK. I took a class on how to, how to explain difficult passages of scripture, and I need somebody to start with. I mean, would you mind help? Sure, well, let's open up to Daniel chapter 2. And, you know, before we do, let's just have a word of prayer. <laughs> and you're off to the races. Community surveys. Let's say you go out to door to door. You don't have to wait till a big event. You could just do this on your own on Sabbath afternoons. I don't know why you have to wait till nine buses go and do it. Just go with your family to do it. Which I'm not against the big thing. Go do it. But I'm saying don't wait till, like, every two years we do it. Just do it on your own. A tried and true way of gathering Bible study interest is doing community surveys. Hi, my name is, and I left that blank so you don't always say Cameron, right? And I'm with a group of Christians just out trying to get to know their community a little better. Would you mind answering a few quick questions? Most people are fine with that. Our, our local church in Muskegon does this every Sabbath afternoon, except for when there's potluck week. So three out of four or four out of five Sabbaths, we have a group that goes out and does Bible study surveys. Would you like to answer a few questions? And some of them do the, 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 uh, the uh, a potential upcoming event survey. Would you be interested? We're looking for ways to reach our community. Would you be interested if we had a class about how to quit smoking? We'd have a class about how to get out of debt. If you had a class about healthy cooking or one about Bible prophecy, which of those would be the most interesting to you? Okay, well, I kind of liked in, the Bible prophecy is kind of cool. I don't know, the end of the world, whatnot. Uh, or I, I really want to kick, it's 20 years I've been smoking now. If you had a thing... That'd be free, yeah, free of charge. Would you come? Sure. I would put a caveat on this one. If you go out, actually keep record of them. Get the address of the person who said they'd be interested in that thing and make sure you actually host a thing. And then when you do, make sure they get invited to it. So go follow up. Hey, we wanted to let you know we were following up on these surveys, and there was actually a good number of people who were in the situation that you are and we want to let you know that in, in, in four weeks, we're going to be having this event. Mark it on your calendar. Here's a brochure for you. We'd love to see you there. 
a world events and Bible prophecy questionnaire. That's a good one, too. I, I've kind of whittled my approach down to these five questions. So this is just my personal one. Hi, do you believe in God? I mean, that's not my opening line. I say, hi, I'm with you. <laughs> hi, my name is Cameron. I'm with the group. And, and oh, by the way, take your, if you happen to have a four-year-old son, take him and make sure it's cold and he's bundled up and looks like doe-eyed and like, <laughs> it's awesome, okay? But, he, but seriously, he loves going on outreach because he holds the glow tracks, right? I hold the clipboard, he glows the glow tracks, we go hand in hand and stuff, and he likes when the dogs come, the little dogs come. And, uh, it, but it's cool, right? Do you, question, we're just trying to get to know the spiritual you know, interest of our, of our community. Do you believe in God? Nine times out of 10, sure. That's easy, okay, that's easy. Uh, who do you believe Jesus was? Son of God, just a really good man, or didn't even exist at all? Nine times out of ten, oh, son of God. I've never had someone say they didn't think Jesus existed. Okay, you might have, but that was, I don't know who you are, but it's the rare bird, right? Yeah. Number three, do you believe Jesus will come back to the earth again? Because you already believe there's a God. You believe that Jesus was real and he was here and he's the son of God. Do you think he's going to come back? This is where they get more squirrely. A little ambivalent, a little am, uh, ambiguous, like, uh, I don't know, I mean, uh. so I'll put you down for a, eh. okay? <laughs> and just have a rapport with them, be playful, don't, don't, don't be cold and standoffish, which is a great lead up for number four. They just answered a question that's so basic, the Jesus you say you believe in, you're not even sure if he's coming back. Do you, do you know your Bible as well as you'd like to? You just demonstrated that they don't. They're like, well, I guess, I guess there's stuff I don't really know about. Oh, great. Well, this brings me to my last question. Would you, would you be interested in studying the Bible if you had the opportunity? We're honest. That's what we're out here doing. We're trying to get people back in their Bibles. And I'm glad that you believe in God and Jesus. But we have some free Bible study guides. And we can either drop them off at your home or someone, myself, or someone else will come by and give you them in home. Or we can do DVD Bible studies. We want to get people back in the Word of God. Would you like to have some of these? You know, and it's not every single time. But it's very, very rare that I'll go out on a Sabbath afternoon and not get one Bible study, most of the time. In fact, the problem that we're having now with the regular group of people who goes out is we've got so many follow-up Bible studies, we're not knocking on new doors enough. We need like a second crew to go out and start knocking on doors, which is good because some people can only go out and knock on doors. They don't have the long-term time commitment to make, and other people are terrified of knocking on doors, you know? So play your strengths. Anyway. One of the most surefire ways of finding potential Bible study interest is to go through pre-made interest lists, local church attendance records from previous events or campaigns. Odds are your last evangelistic campaign had a print off of all the people who were interested in them, and it's still sitting somewhere on a shelf. You can talk to media ministries like Amazing Facts. It is written, Voice of Prophecy, etc., and they have interests in your community. They hopefully will mail them to your pastor. Your pastor has an interest. Somebody in your church has these interests that have been mailed to them, and you'll be willing to follow up with them. They've already said yes. They just need somebody to go and sit down and do the long cultivating work with them or follow up and see if they're already done and bring it to the pastor. You know, just follow up with them. Uh, area Bible workers are great with this, too. That's what they do is go around and get Bible studies. There are other simple ways of generating Bible study interests. You can directly mail or personally deliver Bible study offer cards. Just walk around it. Literally just drop them off at people's doors and just see what happens. Something will come. It may not be a great, but something. <laughs> I put these next ones are weirdest of all. Okay. Ask for directions. I was with uh, 
I don't think I'm going to say anything bad about him. Christian Lieber, I don't know if you know who that is, but anyway, I was in Switzerland with him, and I was from the States, and he was from Germany, and we were in Switzerland, and we were teamed up to go door to door in a place neither of us knew where we were going. And we got lost, legitimately lost. We could not read the map. We didn't know where we were. The streets were all crazy. And so we were supposed to go on this route. Of, we were giving out these little, little cookie things, free gift, and if you'd like to, here's a Glow Tractor Bible Study Guide, something like that. Anyways, we had all our gear, we had our bag of stuff, and we had this map, and we couldn't figure out where to start. Well, we got the right with the first one then, and then we asked him for directions where the next one was, and we got lost en route to the next thing. And the next person we saw, we asked for directions. Hey, I'm sorry, could you help us with directions? And they gave us directions, and we realized, oh, and thank you so much. By the way, here's this gift we have for you, and it's a little piece of literature. Thank you for your help. We really appreciate it. And then we went to the next place, and believe it or not, in all seriousness, we got lost again. So we had to wait for the next person to come around. And we had the most receptive people when we had a need. Now, I'm not sure what this one looked like yet. I'm still formulating it, right? I'm a little bit, in all sincerity, I'm a little bit honest, worried that this is being recorded. But I'm racking my brain here. Wouldn't it be great if you made it into some sort of fun event where you had a point A, and you had a destination point B, but you didn't have a map how to get there. You had to ask people along the route, right? It's like woman at the well outreach. Can you give me water? Can you give me directions? You know, and just go from point A to point B and just kind of make, make it an interesting thing. But have an objective for going down, and you're legitimately trying to get to the other end. But at the same time, I'm trying to meet people along the way. Anyway, interesting thought. Um, what are some other ones here? Oh, wearing T-shirts that have sayings on them. Now, I got this actually from the Glow Ministry booth. So I'm going to put them under the bus, right? But they, I think they have one. I don't remember the exact wording, but it says, I'll give you $5 if I don't have a piece of literature to give you right now if you ask. Something like that. So it really, if you wear that shirt, you better come with a lot of Glow or some $5 bills. Because <laughs> somebody, I would do it. Yeah, every time you go through like a fast food thing that says, you know, this meal is free if we don't give you a receipt, I'm watching. <laughs> come on, come on, come on, don't, forget it, forget it, forget it. Oh, they remembered. <laughs> Struck out again, you know. But I mean, I'll give you $5 if you let me, I'll give you $5 to study me the, uh, let me study the Bible with you for 20 minutes. I've never tried it, but I think it'd be really interesting to see what would happen. I'll give you $5 if I don't have a glow track for you right now, I'll, or just start like this. The Bible says you don't have a soul. Ask for more information. Thought about it. The Bible says Sunday isn't holy. Ask for more information. Odds are you'll get people to talk to you. The book of Revelation isn't sealed. Ask to find out more. Jesus promised to come back. What's taking him so long? People are asking these kind of questions out there. Yeah. In Bible study resources, let's say that you get one of those fish on the line. They actually do want to study the Bible with you. People are like, I don't know what to do. Well, the good thing is we live in a day and age where there are resources aplenty. Okay? Uh, there are plenty of Seventh-day Adventist Bible study guides available today in print format uh, and DVD. Below are some of the most popular printed guides. You can find these in Amazing Facts, and it is written, and I know there's other ones that have been uh, even distributed here and other places you can find, okay? 
but Discover Bible Guides, New Beginnings, Search for Certainty, Unsealing Daniel's Mysteries, Unlocking Revelation, amazing, you can read them for yourself, but there's tons of them out there. Find one that you like for yourself, try them out, and they should all be, I want to underline this too, at a training center church, all of these, or at least some of these, would be available free of charge from a clearly marked, easily accessible, and absolutely unavoidable resource desk at your local church. When you go, when you go into a local church, at least as a pastor, odds are you're going to go in, you'll go through the closets, and it's like you've discovered a geologic column of evangelism. Here's the thing we did two years ago. Here's the thing we did five years ago. Here's the thing we did. This is from 1936, right here. Still there. No one ever wants to throw away those materials. They're still right there. But we also don't distribute them or do anything with them, so we just kind of collect them like a bank. So what we should do with our resources is just have a desk right out front and have them right in people's hands. Try to have a personal ministry segment of your church service every week where you highlight, here's a different resource. This is a great glow track. Let me tell you what this would be great for. This is for... Or here's the Bible study guides. Let me show you what these are. Or here's some testimonies of what happened. They always be featuring the personal ministry work. And then you can find it on the resource desk. You can find it on the resource desk. As you walk out, right by the pastor, when you shake his hand, right next to that is where you're going to pick this up. Make it unavoidable. Have someone manning the booth. My, 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 uh, let's say my neighbor's, my neighbor's father just died, and they're pretty upset about this. And I want to give them something to comfort them, but also give them some comfort from the Bible perspective. Do you have something for me? Hopefully that person manning the booth will know and can say, oh, this is a great resource. Let me put, connect you with the correct resource. Closing thoughts. I think we're going to hit our time square on. God is good. Signs of the Times, December 20, 1899. In every church we need Christ-like workers, those who in life and character are growing in the divine likeness by working to call sinners to repentance. The spiritual life of the church can be kept alive only as the members make personal efforts to win souls to Christ. No amount of mental culture or theological training will do this work. You can have the most literate, educated, theologically accurate membership and leadership in your local church, but it does not guarantee a healthy, growing, spiritually active church. Okay, notice that second. The spiritual life of the church can be kept alive, and it doesn't say primarily. It says only as the members make personal efforts to win souls to Christ. Gospel Workers, page 200. The real character of the church is measured not by the high profession she makes. Every church is going to say they're focused on soul winning. It's very rare, I would imagine, at all to find a church that's like, nope, we're not interested in the lost. <laughs> they may not say it out loud, but where do they spend their time, energy, money? And what? The structure isn't built for it. The real care of the church is measured not by the high profession she makes, nor by the names enrolled in her books, but by what she is actually doing for the master, by the number of her persevering faithful workers. Personal, unselfish effort will accomplish more for the cause of Christ than can be wrought by sermons or creeds. Let ministers teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them, the burden of leading souls into the truth. Now, we've talked a lot about spiritual growth and disciplines. I'm not getting into all that. Yes, you should be prayer, prayerful. You should be a diligent student of the Bible. But you must, as much as you do that, witness to other people. 
It's a part of your spiritual development, your spiritual maturity, your spiritual growth. Not only to receive from the Word of God and receive your walk with Christ, but to give it to someone else. Those who are not fulfilling their responsibility should be visited. So yes, pastors should visit church members. <laughs> but it might be because how can I help you get engaged with the work a little bit more? Right? Should be visited, prayed with, labored for. Do not lead the people to depend upon you as ministers. Teach them rather that they are to use their talents in giving the truth to those around them. In thus working, they will have the cooperation of heavenly angels and will obtain an experience that will increase their faith and give them a stronghold on God. In Christian Service 15, let no church think it is too small to exert an influence and do service in the great work for this time. Go to work, brethren. It is not alone the large camp meetings or conventions and councils that will have the special favor of God. This is a good one to read at GYC as we close down. Right? GYC is a blessing, amen? amen? But it's not the only one. Go home and be a blessing now to somebody else. The humblest effort of unselfish love will be crowned with his blessings and receive its great reward. Do what you can, and God will increase your ability. Think about that. How simple of a premise. Learn what you can, think about it, make a plan, and go do something. You might mess up. I'm sorry. You will mess up somehow. But I would much rather you fail trying than guarantee failure otherwise. Has it been clear today? Hopefully you've got some creative ideas. They might be terrible for you in your situation. I don't know. But try something and go win a soul for Jesus. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you give us this great privilege and this great responsibility of working for and with you for the salvation of others. Lord, bless us in every phase of the evangelism cycle, whether it's soil preparation, teach us how to do it well. Whether it's sowing the seed, teach us what to say, what not to say. In the cultivation process, give us fidelity and endurance and wisdom and tact and all the gifts that we need for that area. Give us courage for the harvest, Lord, to call forth for those decisions. And Lord, help us to discipline ourselves and those who come to the faith so that in turn we can win even more souls to you. Lord, galvanize us into an army that finishes this work in this generation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all so much. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.